From MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to the Tennis Revolution Podcast. Revolution podcast. You're hearing a different voice again. The coach has left me high and dry as usual. I'm by myself. Nobody to argue with. And it was a great week of American tennis and he's not here to celebrate. We said this, uh, I think on the last podcast or two podcasts ago, we've solved American tennis and now here we are in the uh, semifinals of Davis Cup, which hasn't happened since 2012. So we're not going to take any credit for that. I'm not. He might, but uh, it's been it's been, we've actually had things to talk about. It's nice to actually be deep in a tournament and still have uh, players and teams to talk about. And why is it when I'm doing this podcast by myself, I always talk about going deep into things. It's like, uh, it's my, like my tagline. But uh, yeah, they played, the U.S. men's team played Belgium, which is not a tennis powerhouse. And they actually did what they were supposed to do when you're not playing a tennis powerhouse. They won every match. So that was exciting. Isner continued off his Miami success and won his match, and then they won the doubles with the uh, very popular Ryan Harrison. Uh-huh. And they uh, they won all three, so it didn't have any drama. We didn't have any of that Sunday drama that we like in Davis Cup. And so they get to play Croatia next, which Coach and I's system that we love, they get to play them in six months when everybody's forgotten that Davis Cup is still going on. So this will be the last year where they do this kind of uh, stilted, staggered schedule where you know, all the matches are different times of the year, so nobody can ever keep track or know when it's going on. I had a hard time finding the matches this weekend. But we did have Spain and uh, Germany had a close match. Nadal had a nice win. He came back and, and, as usual, hasn't played in months, and he still comes back and beats everybody. Beats the number three player in the world, you know, pretty handily. So a little depressing that um, these guys can come back and still be so much better than everybody else. That's, I think, one of our big issues in tennis right now, and I... I hate to be a pessimistic, but that's kind of the direction that I see tennis going is that these guys are just so much better than anybody that's come up in the last 10 years that it makes the uh, makes it a little less exciting when those guys are on. The only way they, they can lose is if they're off, basically. If they're on their game, they beat everybody. And it was a little different when there was four of them because they were all playing each other now with uh, with just one or two of them at a time. And they're winning everything, and they're not even getting any competition, so... Um, but anyway, looking forward to the next round when when uh, Croatia plays America. That will actually be a pretty tough match. I mean, I would actually say Croatia is probably the favorite in that. I'm looking at their results they had, and they have Chilich and Chorich, which are you know two really good singles players. Chorich especially been playing much better lately. Isner did get a win over Chilich in the uh, in the Miami tournament, but but I would bet that he has a losing record against him. And then they've got uh, Dodig as one of their doubles players. He's a pretty strong doubles player. And I think they had Zimenich. He didn't play in this in this uh, event, but I'm pretty sure he's he's Croatian. So if they have those guys, that's going to be really tough. And then by then, you know, we'll have U.S. Open, Laver Cup, Davis Cup. So September is going to be huge this year in tennis, but it'll be interesting to see how many guys, how many guys have their legs left at that point. Um, especially when these guys all play a ton. Chilich and Chorch, they play a lot of tournaments, and so do Isner and Sock and Harrison. So I think fatigue will definitely come into play in that, especially with them playing three out of five a week or two after the Open. So yeah, hopefully they, uh, 
Americans can make the finals, and that would be pretty shocking. I don't see how we would beat Spain in a final, but but stranger things have happened, I suppose. And uh, especially if it's on clay, I'm not sure how they do the uh, coaches in here to advise me on how they do the home away and how they determine what surface and where they play. That was always confusing to me. I know this. Uh, I know Spain got to play on clay this round. But I don't know if that means they don't play on clay next round or or how it works. There's some kind of rotation involved where where it evens out, but. I think it's every time you play a team, the next time it changes. So if you played them at home last time, then you'd get to play them away the next time, something like that. But but again, this will be the last time they do that. It'll be going to one venue uh, or one location at least for for all the teams. So I think that'll be a little more fairness involved, and it'll just make it more cohesive and easier to follow when it's all on the same weekend. So it was nice. It's nice to see America winning, and if they could win the last one that uses this you know this format, that's going to be memorable. But but I think the other one is going to be, despite Amelie Merezma's tweet, she tweeted that, that why are we changing the system? We had such dramatic you know, finishes today and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, they're going to be more dramatic and they're all going to be going at the same time and the same venue so you can go back and forth. It's going to be a little more like a Grand Slam atmosphere in my opinion. So much better tennis that way. And it actually gives you, you know, multiple options if one match is not competitive you don't have to stick with it and watch it you can just skip back and forth and that's how i'm hoping it's going to work anyway we'll see it never seems to work as well as as we think it's going to but that would be that would be the idea labor cup was so great but they still had one court going at a time so we lucked out this year that it was so or last year that it was so competitive and all the matches were so close but it very easily could have been you know some six one six ones and then you're sitting through an hour and a half and you beat down that's not that exciting so it's better for all involved if the matches are close. If it's, you know, Spain versus America this year on clay and it's Nadal versus, you know, anybody, it's probably not going to be the closest. Even though Isner did take him to five sets uh, once on clay, I think uh, he's at least going to win one match for sure, and he's obviously the heavy favorite to win two. So to go into that, you know, down 2-0 on clay is not uh, is not a recipe for success. But anyway, as the coach uh, likes to call it, the sexist podcast, we're actually going to talk some about women's tennis. Since he's not here, we can talk all about women's tennis. He'll, uh, he'll, he'll call me out on that, that I'm the one that's advocating for women's tennis. But, but yeah, they had a big tournament in Charleston, and they had to do something that we do all the time as league players and tournament players, but you rarely see the pros do. They actually had to play two matches in a day. They had a big, uh, big rain delay on Saturday. As you know, we record on Sunday, so earlier today they already had to play two matches uh, each. So the two semifinal matches played, they carried over from Saturday, and then the finals was right after that. So, like I said, you know, we do that all the time, but we're not used to uh, we're not used to them having to do it. So it was interesting to see what's what's strange about it is that uh, so Kiki Burton's, who's a little bit of a lesser known player, she's had you know some good wins, and she's you know, top 25 in the world, but she had a marathon match against Madison Keys, is one of Coach's favorites, uh, American young, hard-hitting player that's kind of been rising, rising, and then kind of plateaued in the top 10. But they played in the semis, and it was seven, six, and a third, so pretty much the maximum length of time you could play. Now, that doesn't factor in how long the points were and the games and that kind of thing, but but in terms of score, the, the deepest you can go in a, in a match, seven, six, and a third, and so you would think that whoever won that match, which was Burton's, would be at a huge disadvantage in the uh, finals. And so she won 7-6 in the third, and then she comes out in the finals against Gerges and wins 6-2, 6-1. So I'm not sure how that happens. 
where she can recover that much better than the other player, but that just is testament to her. It must be fitness. Uh, you know, her fitness must be higher than almost any other player, which is pretty amazing. And who knows? I mean, I don't know what the weather was like there. I'm sure it was humid, uh, and plus with all the rain. But And it is just, you know, it's two out of three sets, not three out of five, like the Grand Slam men's matches. But, I mean, she had to play five sets in one day, which when we see the men do that, it's a struggle. So kind of makes you wonder about that argument about, you know, women's tennis for the Grand Slam switching to three out of five, which we've talked about, and whether they should be able to do it or not. You know, that kind of was a was a, a testament to say that she could she's one of the players that could do it for sure. I mean, she played, you know, five sets, won four out of the five, and um and it was obviously still a pretty good level of play in the finals. So you know, I think it would it would actually give an advantage to different players than the ones we're seeing now, whereas it would really make conditioning come into play. Something we're gonna talk about in the second half is how the tennis bodies, the uh they, as we call them, the universal they, we always talk about these organizations. You know, there's so many different ones, USTA, UTR, ITF, ITA, you know, ATP, WTA, all those different organizations that make tennis so complicated and confusing. They seem to be going in a direction of taking the conditioning element out of tennis. So I want to save that for the second half and talk about that. But today we had the opposite. We had three out of five sets in the men's, you know, some good matches, really close ones. Um, as I mentioned, Isner, they had two opponents that were outside the top 100, and Isner still managed to lose a set and struggle in his match. And then, uh, you know, the, the other, uh, the doubles was a real close match. So it was interesting. I'm still looking up, uh, you know, the Dodig uh, doubles match for Croatia where they wanted to play America. They had a four-set match. So, you know, I, I do, I don't think Coach is quite as big of an advocate as I am of the uh, three out of five, but I do like the three out of five aspect. Because I just think it makes you makes a more legitimate outcome, and it does it does put stamina into play. It does you know it does put all this other stuff into play that uh, that we normally don't have. So that's what I like about it. It uh, I'm trying to find the score here, the Isner match, and can't find it. But but I know that uh, he definitely lost a set, and I think the guy he was playing was maybe even outside the top 150. I know that both their players. We're outside the top, uh, outside the top hundred. So anytime you have that, as I said, you should have a big advantage, but it doesn't mean that you're uh, that you always take advantage of it. So you know, and I actually like to see important doubles matches that actually mean something, and with marquee players, which we don't always get. So I was uh, I was excited to see that. You know, the timing here was a little bit off, but there's I mean nothing you can do when it's when it's uh, you know not here. So. It was um, it was exciting. I liked to see. I kind of was worried that Isner was going to have a letdown after his big win, so I was glad to see that he was still in top form. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I think, uh, I still think the two-week system is going to be so much better because, again, you're really going to talk about about stamina becoming a factor. Uh, if they keep it with three out of five, you're talking about three out of five sets, you know, back-to-back weeks. And outside of a Grand Slam, you don't have that. And what I think the... The one thing we never talk about, which is so much different, and I know this as a player, and I mean, I don't mind admitting that as a player, when I lose a match, I have a real hard time coming back to play later that day or the next day, even if it's just for fun, whatever it is. You know, I've played tournaments where I lost first round, and I would say my record in the Constellation bracket is probably 1-50 in because I just, once I lose, the last thing I want to do is go back out on the court again. So I think the psychology of Davis Cup is so much different than a tournament where in a tournament you lose, you're out. 
Whereas not only for each match do you have to think about, you know, potentially pacing yourself, you know, for the next round in a, in a grand slam, you know, if you lose, you're done. So you've got to lay everything out there in that match. And because you don't, it doesn't matter if you lose, it doesn't matter if you've, you know, sprained your ankle or pulled them, pulled the muscle. You're still, you're going to be out if you lose. So, and it's a big, you know, prize money difference, obviously if you win too. So whereas Davis cup, you know, if you're way down, it might be more prudent to give that match up and save it up for the next round. But I think it's also just so psychological as a, as a player to have to lose, and then come back and play the next day. I think, you know, we see that in, you know, NBA and uh, you know Major League Baseball where you lose and got to come back the next day. Or even even more drastically with baseball, you know, you have a doubleheader. You got to you might lose earlier in the day and have to come back in the afternoon. But but individual sports are different. You know, when you lose, you can't blame anybody else. When you lose in singles, you take one hundred percent of the blame. I mean, you can say your opponent had a great day or your coaching or whatever. But you know, the win condition, other conditions. But the bottom line is, you didn't play well enough to win. And not so basically you have no time to go and work on the things that, that helped you lose. Then you got to go back out there and do it again. So that's, that I think is something different, you know, psychologically. And that was something I had a real hard time with as a player. I know a lot of people that they could just, you know, move on to the next match and not, uh, not let it affect them. But I, I was definitely not in that category. And I think it, it, it is a testament to some of these players that they can lose, you know, and some of the time they'll lose, you know, heartbreaking matches. I remember Marty Fish had a really painful loss one time in Davis Cup, I think it was against Feliciano Lopez. And if I recall, he came back and played, you know, two days later. And he may have lost again, but I know he had a really, another really tight match. So, I mean, he did not ever, you know, give up or mail it in. So I think, you know, it, it does show you, you know, the kind of work ethic of some of these players. I remember Djokovic one, one year lost a really, really tough match. I believe it was still the Potro in the Olympics. And they said he was out, you know, practicing practicing serves or something later that day after he lost, you know, a four hour match or something. So, I mean, I think that does take a different type of person to be able to do that. And I think it, you know, that kind of attitude helps you more. I will say the coach isn't here to bash me, but to defend myself, if I lose, I do have things to work on. I go out and work on my game and I'm ready the next time. But it didn't, like I said, if you're playing two days in a row or two matches in a day, like those ladies had to do, it's totally different. It would have been interesting if they had a third place match, you know, in that women's final today, how it would have gone and because then they both lost. So at least you don't have the edge, you know, no one has a mental edge because you both lost. I mean, yeah, you had physical edge because one match might've been an hour. One match might've been three hours, but the bottom line is you both lost. So you both have to find a way to regroup, you know, take what you did well and do more of it and take what you did poorly and try to fix it in the span of maybe an hour or two, you know, for USTA tournaments and things we're used to things like that. You might lose in singles, go play doubles. You might, you know, lose and go to the consolation, I don't think the pros, they rarely do they play two matches in a day unless it's singles and doubles. And, and, you know, for Davis cup, rarely do you lose and then go back to the same venue and play again. When you lose, you're out of the event. So I think that's, that's what makes Davis cup different. One of the things that I like about it, you know, it's like, it's like an opportunity for redemption. And, and, and on the other side of the coin, you can't have a big celebration. You can't, you know, win an amazing match and then just turn around and, you know, rest on your laurels and say, well, I won that amazing match and that, you know, that made my year. And then now you can, if your team wins and then it's over, like in the case of America this time, they won the first three, so they didn't have to come back. But, but in some ways I think it's almost harder to come back from a win because then you're thinking, oh man, I've got all these shots and I'm playing so great. And then when you come out the next time and if you don't quite have it to that level, it's different. So anyway, that's wrapping up Davis cup. We don't have it again for six months, as I said. 
I'm going to talk about what is ruining the future of tennis and why we're taking conditioning out of the game after the break. It's time to join the revolution. Go to our website, tennisrevolutionpodcast.com to get the latest episodes, email us your questions and comments, or give us show ideas. All right, we're back. Still, you're still stuck with me. Nobody else here. And I am going to discuss the ruination, the word the coach likes of tennis. He's not here, but I'm sure he'll agree with me, so I'll, I'll do it in his honor. We've talked about this a little bit. but So today we had the polar opposite of what they, the infamous they, is trying to do to tennis. We had three out of five sets in the men's. We had two matches in a day for the women. We had just more tennis, the better. Well, there seems to be a movement in tennis to make matches shorter by you know various means. We talked about you know adding the shot clock. We talked about you know no ad. You know all that kind of stuff. You know they're playing uh, no ad and third set tiebreaking doubles now. And you know so there's been there's been a few different methods. You know basically not as much time between points. All that kind of stuff. Um, they haven't tried to take away the changeover, reduce the changeover yet. But who knows? Maybe that'll be the next thing. But then they'll keep those because they want to be able to have the commercials you know, where they make their money. But but anyway, my wife was in a USDA event this weekend, and um, she sent me a message and said they had had some rain delays, and we had we had terrible weather here in Dallas this weekend, as I'm sure if it was terrible here, it was probably everywhere else north. But she told me that they were going to be playing Fast 4 format. And I said, you know, Fast 4, what what's Fast 4? And so I'm a... You no know, teaching pro, I do tennis for a living. I had never heard of Fast Four. So she sent me a uh, a information sheet that has the entire rules of the format for Fast Four. And I and didn't know it was Fast Four, but I had heard of it after the fact. And once she sent it to me, you know, I know that Federer did a demonstration of it with Leighton Hewitt in Australia. And, you know, it was popular. And, and you know, so maybe, so, I mean, I think there is a potential use for it. You know, maybe in lower junior tournaments, you know, lower level. But I don't think at the pro level or any competitive level, you should be playing fast four. So anyway, I'll give you the breakdown of what it is. And the first thing it says is that scoring will be numerical one, two, three game rather than 15, 30, 40. So we're going to take out, you know, the most basic scoring format of tennis, which again, doesn't make sense. It never has 15, 30, 40. I get asked that question, you know, daily of why it's 15, 30, 40 in tennis, but it is, it always has been. So, we're going to change the most basic part of the scoring. We're going to make it one, two, three instead of 15, 30, 40. So you start with that. And then they're going to do something which they've done in college tennis for a while. And they say that there are no lets after the serve. So if the ball hits the net on a serve and bounces in the right box, play continues. But what was interesting about this is that in doubles, either player can run over and get the let. So, you know, let's just make it as chaotic and confusing as possible. So every other point, the returner has to return it. But then in the case of a let, all hell breaks loose, basically, and any player can go get it. So, again, these are all things that have never been done in any competitive tennis that I'm aware of. And then you got no ad, which, you know, no ad, the only thing no ad is good for is, is saving time. That's it. it. It, You know, it's a big advantage to the receiver when you have no ad. And then you add in the receiver's choice aspect of it, which makes it even bigger advantage to the receiver. So... Again, we're trying to shorten tennis and make it easier for their servers to get broken 
for what purpose of either. I have no idea, but you know, so it, and then, then at four, four at three, three, I'm sorry. I thought it was four, four. So it's even worse at three, three. So you've only played six games. So you're talking about doubles. You got two players that haven't even served, but one time. So if you play mixed doubles, you know, the guys are going to serve the first four out of the first six games. So the ladies have served one game at the most. And you're at the end of the set. So at 3-3, at three, three, you play a tiebreak, and you don't play a 7-point tiebreak. You don't play a 10-point tiebreak. You play a tiebreak to 5. So first one to 5 points. You each serve 2. So again, you're changing. Instead of serving 1 and switching like we used to do, we're going to serve 2 points each. Change sides after 4, which I guess they want to keep the sun and wind element in there. And then if you get to 4-4, four, four, you're not going to play win by 2 because you haven't done that in any other... You know, score. You're playing no add, and you're playing, uh, you know, first to three three. So you don't have to win by two, or first to four. So you don't have to win by two ever. So you're going to play at four all. You're going to play whoever's turn it is serve. They serve one point, and that decides it. So essentially, whoever wins a spin at the beginning of the match has a huge advantage when you go to a tiebreak. So you're talking about again professional tennis. The server wins probably eighty to ninety percent of doubles points in the men's and it's probably a little lower in the women's, but I'm sure they still win the majority. So just by virtue of winning the spin, you're going to have a big advantage, um, in the tie break. So you take that. Oh, and so now I'm reading the details here and on if the, it's even worse than what I was saying. So if you get to four, four, you're going to spin again. So I was basically right. You're going to, you're going to spin to see who serves. And the receiver chooses which side the point is played, so that they, that's an attempt to even it out. But again, you're serving; you should have the advantage there. And so you could win every point on your serve in a tiebreak and win the tiebreak. So you never have to break the other team, you know. So first four wins a set. You can play. You know, they're saying there are different ways to do. It. You can play one set. I think in this particular tournament that my wife was playing, you played two fast four sets. And then my guess was they didn't end up doing this. Luckily for for her sake. And for mine, because I would have had to incur the wrath when she got home. But I assume it would have been a f- two fast four sets and then a tie break for the third. It doesn't specify on this sheet. This is just a general sheet, not the one they were actually using. So, so there was that. And then the one other element that, again, makes no sense, but I guess it's to add some kind of excitement or drama into the match. But is at any time during a set, a server has an option to say power play. And you have to hold the ball and say power play. And if you do that, which I would think the smart time to do that would be when you're down, you know, two, three, because if you win the point, you're winning the game. I've already outgamed this system. If you win the point, you win the game. If they win the point, they win the game anyway. So they really just get one point anyway. I'll have to, I'll have to look into that because maybe they start up one zero the next game. I'm not sure how it works, but, but basically if you call power play, that point is now worth two points. So that's not confusing at all. You know, you just all, all of a sudden one point is worth two points. So, you know, these are all creative elements that somebody I'm sure sat in a room and thought about that probably played some other sport or runs a TV network or something. And I mean, literally you could have a match that was 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So I'm not exactly sure why that is our goal now is to make the matches as short as possible. I mean, could you imagine if you did this in a grand slam and you got through, I mean, you could get through a hundred matches in a day and you're not going to have any of these marathon night matches. I mean, people are going to pay to go sit through three matches and be done in two or three hours and, and not spend any money at the venues because they're in and out. You don't have any any mat, any airtime on TV because the matches are so short. 
and you're going to have crazy results where one player gets on fire and knocks out, you know, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray in a really crazy time, you know, amount of time, and then your best players of the tournament. You're basically going to have a different outcome of every tournament you play if you did this format. Now, the benefit is less grueling, maybe less injuries. I'm not going to say there aren't benefits. You know, players play longer. But it's just, to me, you're taking out the competition element. I mean, why not just play, you know, best two or three points and whoever wins advances? I mean, you do the whole tournament in two days. It'd be perfect. So I'm not sure what, you know, how far we're going to go with this. But, but to me, a legitimate sport, you should play a minimum of two hours. You know, if you just blow out the other team, you should play two hours. Now, nobody wants to watch, you know, a 6-0, 6-0, 5-0. I understand that. But again, even that... I've seen matches that are an hour and 20, hour and 30 that were 606050. If you're talking about 4040, that's going to be 15 20 minutes. I mean, it could easily be a 15 20 minute with no ad and with a total mismatch. So like I said, I think there's a place for it. I think the simplicity of the scoring outside of the power play, which I just think is totally idiotic. But I think there's a place, you know, you do it in juniors, you do it in beginners where they can't figure out the 15 30 40, you know, th- again, I understand it. I think it's going to be, you're going to have a hard time convincing current, you know, experienced tennis players to do it. So I just think that's the, you know, that's the downside of it. I think anytime you introduce a new format, there's a lot of resistance. But I think in this case, it's, you have to introduce changes gradually. And you just think you can't, you can't expect somebody to jump in. I, I would have really been interested if they did that format this weekend in the USDA event because nobody would have known how to do it. And I'll bring this up with coach next time. And and it's just it just increases the confusion because you're going to have one league that's playing, you know, with add and two out of three sets to six. And then you're going to have another league that plays to four. And then you're going to have a league playing pro sets. And you're going to have a league playing, you know, two out of three and one, one playing one. I mean, it's just I think right now we have the continuity of every competitive tennis that I'm aware of is first to six every set. Almost all with add outside of pro doubles, which again, a lot of people weren't in favor of, including me. And, and you play, you know, you don't have any power plays or any crazy let rules or whatever. I mean, every rule that is included in this that was brought up was brought up for a reason. I've yet to hear a valid reason of why this is being brought up. Maybe I'll get, we'll get a, we'll get a fast four proponent or advocate on the show in the future or, or, or get the response, you know, via email or some, some method to figure out what the, reasoning behind it is. And again, if you've got, you know, run a one, want to run a one day tournament with 10 and under juniors and you want to run through 80 people in one day and on four courts or six courts, I think this would be great. I think you're going to, a lot of people I have a lot of people that said I paid $30 and I played for an hour, you know, I want a refund. So, you know, I think even in that setting, you're going to have a hard time selling it because you're not going to lower the price. Nobody lowers the price for anything ever. So the price is going to stay the same. And then you're going to be playing half the amount of tennis. And the beginner players, they need the most tennis. You know, they need that court time more than anything else. So even so, even for that group, I'm not advocating it. You know, in practice as a learning tool, that's about as far as I see it going. And I'll be curious to get coaches' take on it. But, you know, it's just yet another way that the USTA seems to be trying to diminish the player experience. And... And, you know, I could go go on all day. There's actually going to be a, a forum in Dallas next week about the National Tennis Rating Program and, you know, how you get your rating and how your rating changes over time and and that kind of thing. And I think I think they're starting to see the writing on the wall with some of these other leagues of UTR and 
and ITA, these other tournaments, and I think they're starting to, their audience is starting to thin a little bit. The more options people have, you know, the, the thinner their their core group is getting. And I think as that happens, they're, I do appreciate that they're trying to change things, but they're not addressing, like I've never once heard somebody say as a player that their match is too long in USDA. I mean, I don't think that's a that's a issue. You know, they might say that the issues I hear the most are their ringers, you know, their sandbaggers, you know, we had to drive too far, you know, the players cheated, whatever. I mean, I don't ever hear anybody complaining about, you know, oh, we had too long of a match because right now we play two sets. Normally, I guess I should have mentioned the normal format, which I think is the national USDA format, is two sets and a third set tie break. So it's two sets with add. And then if you split, so, you know, 50% of the matches, they're just two normal match. They're normal matches because you don't split. So you play straight sets. But then if you split, you have the third set to 10, which which a lot of people didn't like when it came out. I The only reason I understand that is you've got restrictions at a club. You can't be out there for four hours. I mean, other people need the court. You're just monopolizing the court for too long. So there's a big difference between, you know, shortening a match from three hours to two hours as opposed to shortening a match from two hours to 40 minutes, which I think is what this these average matches in fast forward would be. Um, so I think, you know, they've went way extreme. I mean, even if you said you were going to play two regular sets and then play a fast four set for the third, kind of like volleyball does. I think that would be a potential, but but you can't go from playing with add two out of three to fast four, two sets and then a tie break or, or it even says on here that there's an option to just play one fast four set and that's done. So you're going to have a ton of uh, backlash from this in my opinion. That's why in some ways I wish they would have played it this week just because they would have heard, they would have heard from the, uh, the masses about how terrible it was. And then the other part is, I mean, why not just play a pro set? You're playing to four, play no ad pro set, and then you're in one set. It's a much simpler scoring system. You know, you don't, you've got a little more opportunity to come back probably in that in that setting than you do in a in a you know two set tiebreaker format. So I just think it's you know, it's interesting. And the USDA used to have a big deal that a match had to be had to play a certain number of games to count. So I guess they've, I guess they've gotten rid of that formula. But that seems to be the direction the way tennis is going. Feel free to email us. Let us know what you think about it. I think uh, I'm hoping that's not a sign of things to come. We've got Americans doing better. Maybe that'll that'll pique the interest of tennis. I think we don't need to cater to the the, the excuse they always like to use is that we're catering to the short attention span of younger people. And you know they don't seem to be having a problem with college football or NFL and these three four hour games. The NBA is you know, two and a half three hours. College basketball. So every other sport is, you know, two hours minimum. I think we're, I think it's totally fine for us to, you know, stay in that time window of, of two to three hours for a match. You know, just like in NFL, you're going to get a game that's occasionally four hours and tennis, you're going to get a match that's occasionally four hours. I think it's just, that's the nature of sports. And the point is the drama is building as the match goes on. You're not having these little, you can't make every game thrilling, which I think is what they're trying to do here. They make every game, oh, three all, who's going to win this point, you know, because a break doesn't matter if you get up a break because you can break right back in the new format. So it's not significant. You know, it's like arena football league when there's a touchdown, every possession, a touchdown doesn't mean anything, you know? So it's, it's, I would rather see, you know, one break per set or two breaks per set. That's going to be more meaningful than every game is a break. So I don't know. I think it's, I'll have to quiz coach next week and see if he's heard of it and see if he's on the same page. But 
usually he and I agree on that kind of a thing. We don't want to drastically change tennis. We want to make it better and make it uh, more visible and have, have more success for our American players. So I don't see how this is going to help. Playing less tennis doesn't help anyone. So that's my thoughts on it. Like I said, write in. Call in, as Coach would say, and let us know. Don't forget to follow us. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever we're on. Stitcher, who knows? I never know, but he's not here to tell you all about it. I know he doesn't have an Instagram. You can follow him on Twitter, 10S, like tennis, 10SREV. is his Twitter handle, and then uh, tennisrevolutionpodcast.com. So until next time, bye, guys.